Welcome to In the Fig of It, Profit and Losses Weekly Podcast with myself, Colin Lambert, and with me as always is Galen Stops. Um, I guess there's been quite a bit of news out there, nothing really striking this week, but um, you've been in London, Galen, how's your week been? Um, it's been it's been interesting. So it's been it's been good to catch up and, and see a lot of people over here. Um, it's been uh, it's been very Brexity. Um, it's, it's <laughs> that's what I was well, thinking. It's interesting because it's 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 all over the it's all over all the news here constantly. Um, I get just anecdotally talking to you know friends and family and and people at work. Everyone's so sick of it. Everyone's so tired of hearing about because at least at least in the U.S. with Trump. You know, it's a different sca- it's a different breathless scandal every week. So you know, oh, did he sleep with a porn star? Oh, did he collude with Russia? Oh, is he pressuring Ukraine? You know, at least the story changes with Brexit. It's like, oh, we're still talking about the Irish backstop, like three yeah. years later. Great. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're still asking for extensions. There's actually um, a tweet that must have gone viral because about 15 people have sent it to me, um, <laughs> and it says the year is 2192. The British Prime Minister visits Brussels to ask for an extension of the Brexit deadline. No one remembers where this tradition originated, but every year it attracts many tourists from all over the world. Um, <laughs> I think that kind of sums up how uh, how some people are feeling right now. And uh, so I went to um, I went to we published a story um, yesterday on uh, about Brexit, and because I went to a briefing yesterday hosted by UBS, in which kind of the the analysts there. We're talking about kind of the different uh, potential outcomes and what it means, particularly for sterling. And they were arguing that people might be uh, overestimating the the Brexit amount of Brexit premium left in sterling. But I mean, just talking to them and, and you know, they outline many different scenarios and trying to get them to be like, okay, so which do you think is the most likely? And it was basically an hour of them saying, uh, we don't have a clue and no one else does either. No. And and the actually that that this is can feed into like how markets have changed because back in the day confusion would breed volatility in markets but at the moment so, i think yeah even traders are getting bored of it yeah so so they, they made the point that you know we've we've we had this as they described it this phony war right where obviously sterling kind of fell off the edge of a cliff after the referendum and then it became range bound very quickly and you know not much happened because people were you know, no matter what got said in the Brexit negotiations, people were kind of waiting for the final outcome in two years' time. Um, and, you know, we've obviously seen some volatility in sterling now, but they said, you know, if we get another three-month extension, don't expect any volatility, really, until we get right up to that deadline again. Um, similarly... And then we'll they, get it in one hour. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so similarly, they thought it was rather curious that there hasn't been more volatility elsewhere. You know, for example, euro dollar has been at historic lows in volatility. And yet, yeah. you know, obviously this impacts Europe as well a lot. So you would think, I mean, part of that is just because they said that the, the sterling seeing all the volatility because it's the cleanest way to express a view on, on what's going to happen in Brexit. But they, they still seemed a little bit surprised that there hadn't been more volatility elsewhere as a result. People have a view what's going to happen with Brexit. I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen with Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the other terrifying thing is, so I I was going for um, drinks with someone who who works uh, in the in the UK civil service and has been quite involved in a lot of uh, the Brexit stuff. And uh, the point that they made to me when I was talking about how everyone here seems so sick of it 
um, which is terrifying. Was like they they were explaining that this is only the beginning, right? They think <laughs> they said if you think that there's going to be a deal and Brexit is over, they like you are so wide at the mark. They're like Brexit is the divorce. Then we have to renegotiate. We have to negotiate our relationship with Europe. They were like the divorce. They're like I know this sounds hard to believe, but this is the easy bit. They're like getting out of Europe. Is, is going to be the easy bit. Re- them renegotiating our relationship. Like, this is breaking up with your ex, right? The, the next part is, is figuring out a way to live with your ex in the same house. You know, he's like, we're, we're 25 miles away off the coast from Europe. Right? We can't just like, you know, you can't ignore them. It's not going to happen. They're still our biggest trading partner. So then we've got to find out a way after we've broken off from them to then re- immediately re-engage with them. And they're like, that's the bit that's going to be difficult and it's going to take forever. At this stage, I hug my Australian passport really tightly. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a cheery podcast today for people. <laughs> I, the thing is, it, it is it's one of those things. I mean, obviously, I've got still got a lot of friends and family back in the UK, and every time you talk to anyone there, it is just this absolute um, feeling that you know, everyone's just saying the same thing. I'm just so over this. Just get something done. Because you know Look, whatever whatever is, they do, you know whatever they have to do, they got to do. They got to do something. Although then again, probably the only person with any real idea who's given us a positive step forward so far is the anonymous tweeter who said twenty one ninety six and the UK Prime Minister appears. Called <laughs> <laughs> <Cool>, it <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that we could be here just to say, you know, oh, look, told you. <laughs> Well, I, I've, I've had a couple of friends who, who live in the US who used to live in London um, text me and be like, so so you're a currency journalist. They're like, should I be, uh, should I be, because they, they worked over here for a few years. They're like, should I be moving uh, all my all my pounds in my uh, HSBC account into uh, into another currency right now? Or should I be holding on to You're it? a bit late, people. You're a bit late. <laughs> that was something you should have done as a hedge in May 2016. Ever since then? Forget it. <laughs> I, 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 I texted back and I said, I told you you should have bought Bitcoin in early 2017. I told you then and you missed the boat. <laughs> What's sterling Bitcoin at the moment, I wonder? <laughs> Perhaps that's where they need to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'd like to say, joking apart, I mean, there's a lot of people out there think that actually sterling you know, is sort of undervalued. As much as there are those out there saying that it's an accident waiting to happen, and I kind of tend to sit in that camp. I'm, it's it's a strange one at the moment because I think you're just trading headlines, you know, for the for the sake of it. But um, there's there's plenty of people out there that do think that sterling is is you know undervalued, and it will, you know when they get when they get an exit on whatever terms they do, because I mean. I'm trying to work out the, particularly with what you just said there, you know, talking to your friend there. Um, if we've got to go through years of negotiation, what's the difference between a deal and a no deal anyway? We clearly don't have any sort of final deal if there is a deal there. So it's just going to go on and on no matter what we do. So yeah, the difference is how friendly those negotiations are afterwards. Well, I don't know about you being just barely out of nappies, but I have had a few breakups, and take it from me, I don't think they've ever been friendly. <laughs> There's no such thing as, <laughs> oh, let's still be, let's still, be, I would still want to be friends. Yeah, said by the person dumping the other person. <laughs> yeah. Emotional trauma. 
<laughs> yeah, but it's 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 the difference between that and like you know clearing out the house and changing the locks. Yeah. <laughs> How did we get on to relationship breakups here? <laughs> okay, enough 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 about my week. How was your week? Hopefully uh, less depressing. Um, well, my week was really exciting. Um, I went to a conference that was talking about benchmarks one day. And okay, then I woke so up and realized it wasn't. Than mine. <laughs> I was say, I was like, then I woke up and realized it wasn't a dream. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this week's an interesting one because I, on a like, you know, slightly more serious note, it was talking about things that aren't getting sorted out. Is you sense that there's an um, an impatience on the part of central bankers now to actually get this move from LIBOR or the IBORs done. The problem is, is that <clears throat> every central bank is asking for it. But none of them are actually moving at the same pace. So you've got some countries where there was a presentation or there was a chat there with someone from the RBA. And um, they were saying, oh, yeah, well, Australia's not ready to change these things yet. But hang on, you're putting a 2020 deadline on this stuff. Well, why not? Well, the the, the message was Australia's going to wait to see what happens elsewhere in the world. But then you look at it and go, well, the US and the UK are at different stages. Europe's a totally different stage in the past so no one's together so they're all trying to get rid of these benchmark rates for the so-called risk-free rate which i have to say makes me laugh as well because you look at it and go well if it's a risk-free rate um i don't know that many people that can borrow at a rate that doesn't have any risk built into it if you guys go <laughs> yeah. for a mortgage they'll look at us and go hmm financial journalists yeah well i think we need to protect ourselves against people of this of this caliber <laughs> Yeah. And guess what? Our interest rate will be a bit higher. So this whole thing about risk-free rates, I mean, it's not – I always thought a, a reval was meant to be like a mark-to-market. In other words, where you can get out of your trade if you want to get out of it now. And what they're saying now is, oh, no, no, what it is is just basically a theoretical rate at which you may or may not be able to get out of your position. Now, I get a lot of them are used for um, – uh, floating rate notes and you know fixed floating you know um, rebalancing i get that and that's fine but even then you're going like well yeah but you're actually revaluing the you know you're refixing the the rate the floating element at a level where this counterparty may not be able to borrow or lend because of their credit rating or so or some some such so i'm looking at that thinking well i'm i'm, I'm a bit confused by this still and you know so this whole risk-free rate and then you still sit there and listen to these speakers bang on about how they need, you know, how they're going to be, oh, yeah, we're going to go to a risk-free rate and it's all going to be good. And we've got software going, we've got OIS, there's real good liquidity in OIS, which is, you know, the overnight interest, interest swaps or whatever. Um, and yep. everything's great. The problem is I haven't yet a corporate treasury yet that wants a backward-looking interest rate. In other words, what they're going to do, they're going to have their thing revalued on what the rate has been over the past three months. They have no control over that. Corporate treasurers want to know how much it's going to cost them to borrow. And at the moment, we've got all these regulators, you know, the same with Brexit, and like, well, we know what we want. We're just not quite sure how we're actually going to finally achieve it or if we can achieve it at the same time. And it's just like, I don't know. I, 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 I left there slightly depressed thinking, Again, I think, you know, there's regulators chasing after a dream for the sake of it. Um, you know, someone's made the announcement, they've made the decision, G20's made the decision, and we are going to do this come what may. 
and they seem to be ignoring a rather vital part of our world, which is that real economy that, that would want to actually use, you know, term risk-free rates. And, you know, I'm sure over the next six months, there's going to be two or three um, concerns, businesses, exchange groups, whoever it may be out there that will develop term risk-free rates. And then it becomes a bit easier. But I still have this whole problem with risk-free rates. Um, so, yeah, so my week has been LIBOR, actually. <laughs> Um, because obviously regulators getting it wrong, surely not, Colin. I know. Terrorist thought it's a, it's a terrible thing, isn't it? Um, but the other thing that just struck me is, um, with remarkable timing. I, on Monday, I wrote about in, I wrote a column about um, the serious fraud office in the UK dropping their lie their LIBOR investigation. Now I think four or five people have gone to jail over it. There were another two facing sentencing in the US um, yesterday, and. All of a sudden, when we're going to get to the stage when we're actually going to start looking at the real root and branch of what went what went on, all of a sudden we're in a situation where they're saying, "Well, actually, no, we're not going to uh, continue with this investigation." And I, I sort of looked into it a bit more, and there was one case that really struck me. And as one of my friends said after I posted the story, you know, you're just trying to establish your left wing credentials here, but uh, <laughs> the bosses are getting away with it because the Barclays submitter. The BBC had a story on this, um, Panorama program had a story on this earlier this year. Um, and they basically reported on how um, somebody from the Bank of England called Barclays CEO and said, look, it'd be really helpful if you could lowball your rates that you submit. This message got down. I don't know how many miles it went through before it got down to Barclays submitter, who turned and said, but hang on a second, that's not where I can borrow. And they went, doesn't matter, just do it. So the submitter put in, as he was told, the lower rates. Having said, I can't borrow that rate. So he still put the rate in, as he was told. He went to jail. The guy that told him to put the low ball in is now free. Now, I'm not suggesting that you know we should send everyone to jail on this stuff. I don't think anyone should go to jail for something like this. But what I would say is, um, how is it fair? We either do go that route where they investigate absolutely everybody all the way up to the Bank of England, and the banks bald, or they don't start sending people to jail. And it was interesting because yeah. yesterday the two, the two traders I mentioned um, were sentenced in the U.S. Now, I mean, one was sentenced to nine months, um, like um, <clears throat> I don't know what they call it. Is it home home imprisonment? You know, home arrest, yeah, home confinement. Yeah, um, and yeah, they were both fined quite a lot. But they were not sent to jail. And it was the judge made a great comment when um, she turned around and said they're proxy wrongdoers for a, for a, a much proxy larger... Proxy wrongdoers? Yeah. She criticized the US the DOJ for saying, well, actually, you know, these people are, you know, yes, these people um, did wrong, but... They're trying to hold them responsible for people for behaviour throughout the industry, including at senior levels. So, I, I mean, I, I tend to agree. To be fair, you know, obviously establishing my slightly left of Stalin credentials now, but um, but I, I, I struggle to understand how any of these things that have been going on the chat room saga. You know, there were so, people that knew they were in chat rooms. So this is part of the argument being made by um, Rohan Ranchandani. We mentioned um, the fact yeah. that he is, is now filing a court case. And, and this is part of his argument that, that you know, he wasn't 
terribly senior at the time that this was happening. I mean, he only had a couple of people under it. And, and his kind of argument was, in this whole organization, do you, do you really, of the, you know, big FX business, do you really think that there was just, you know, like two guys kind of in the corner yeah. doing this and, and, yeah. and, and doing this supposed malfeasance? Um, his argument is absolutely not. Like, people knew about no. it. It was widely known, widely accepted. It was kind of the way things were done. Yeah. And my point is, either um, they put everyone in the dock, you know, the senior management at City and the other banks that were involved, or they put no one in the dock. Don't pick on these three guys. Now, you know, I've said before and I say it again, I still think what they were doing was just wrong to me because why would you share information on customer orders? But the fact is, uh, it's not isolated to these people. So absolutely, I, you know, I, I'd probably stand with him. I think it's either, it's, you know, it's an all or nothing situation, isn't it? So, um you know, I mean, <clears throat> it's going to happen. Unfortunately, it's a way of the world. I, I think the very fact that um, there's this fear growing amongst senior managers or former senior managers that this could happen um, is probably why City. You know, I, don't, I have no, absolutely no inside knowledge of this whatsoever. But um, it just makes me even more convinced that City and Rohan Ranchandani will come to a settlement out of court. I don't see what else they can I, do. I always, I always love it when, when you begin a sentence with, I have absolutely no inside information on this, but... <laughs> having inside having information and having an opinion are two totally different things going on. That's what I think we've, as we've established over the years. There's nothing, there's nothing yeah. so great as an ill-informed opinion. I guess I don't have any what you call proof, but uh, it's a fact. <laughs> exactly. You mark my words. They will settle out of court. So there we go. On that note, we'll move on. Um, so, well, about, well, about our week. I, I had a couple of interesting meetings this week. With, um, yeah. with we, we, we wrote an article recently on FX people moving into crypto. And yep. I, I have had a, a few meetings with people this week who have kind of who are also kind of making that shift. Um, and it was funny because I was I was talking to to one person and um, and I, I was saying, you know, oh, we just did this article on all these FX people who moved over to crypto, and they told me, and, and I'm not making this up, with, with no hint of irony, that they think that the reason why a lot of people are moving from FX to crypto is because those people don't really have a place in the FX market anymore, and they're struggling a bit, and a lot of them are kind of has-beens. Didn't, he, didn't, he didn't get the irony of that at all, which I found <laughs> hilarious. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Um, Another another interesting uh, anecdote which I found quite amusing, which was um, a different uh, a different person was talking to me about um, getting a uh, a bank account for their their firm was getting a bank account, and they were struggling with the UK banks because it had the word crypto in the name of the company, um, and so they they changed the name of the company to make it just kind of acronyms, um, and then they got a bank account no problems. <laughs> same same company, same financial, same details. They just removed the word crypto. And, and it went yep. from, oh, no, we can't possibly service you to, oh, yeah, everything looks in order here. Thank you. How silly is that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think the thing is, there's a lot in the name, isn't there? You know, you, you, I'm sure there's plenty of films in history where someone's sort of just changed, their, changed the pronunciation of their name and um, to make things sound so much posher. And they get away with murder. I'm going back to having a crack at the rich again, aren't I? 
I'm definitely becoming a comic. Yeah, I know. What's going on with me? I know, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the crypto thing is interesting because um, I saw a report this week that there's people out there saying, oh, yeah, well, the future is going to be the crypto carry trade. The era of the crypto carry trade is starting. The crypto carry and, trade. I like that. Yeah, so you negative interest rates, so you basically borrow in, you know, whatever's the most negative interest rates. It's probably still just Switzerland um, or Japan, and you lend crypto. You lend Bitcoin to people who are hungry to trade Bitcoin. Um, and I'm sort of looking, and my first thought was, you've got to be kidding me, because that's just an accident waiting to happen. But then I suddenly thought, well, hang on, every carry trade's an accident waiting to happen, really. You know, and <laughs> it's, we see it, we see it blow up every now and again. Um, I don't know what interest rate, <laughs> again, I have no knowledge of this whatsoever, but it's not going to stop me giving me opinion, but <laughs> I've no, I, I've no knowledge of what, what rates are in crypto lending. I, I, something tells me there's something around seven or eight percent, maybe. I'm not sure. But whatever rate you can get to lend crypto, or whatever rate you have to pay to borrow crypto, um, if you're running a short or whatever else, um, <clears throat> fine. Yeah, I mean, if you look at liquidity in crypto, it's not that great. And that's my first my first point of call is always going to be, ah, uh, yeah, but hang on a minute. Like, you know, when it goes pear shaped, you're all going to head for the same exit. And Bitcoin will be at one dollar before any of you can get out the door. Um, but then I suddenly thought to myself, well, actually, that's not dissimilar to what happens every time someone jumps out of South African Rand or the Turkish lira. Yeah, we get these big yeah. six, seven, eight, ten percent moves in the carry trade, and you know the yen suddenly jumps as every oh, yeah, as every Japanese housewife repatriates for whatever reason. Um, and you look at it and think, well, maybe there is something in it. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think that. We should all just – the smart money is by farmland because when when Brexit and the Trump administration, everything goes south, we're going to go back to bartering. We're all going to have to live off the land, Colin, and we're mm. all very stuff technology. In that case, in that case, I'm stuffed because there's just not enough rain down here to support the land. Well, I mean, there's, there's a I'd reason buy water. that people in England send people to Australia to die, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> especially of a certain age, Galen, especially of a certain age. <laughs> yeah. I can feel the slow. I can feel the slope accelerating in front of me as we speak. Yeah, kill me here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, Bitcoin this week actually took a bit. Of, I mean, I, I do like you know. I, I like for for my entertainment. I have to say, I do like dipping into the Bitcoin press every now and again because it's quite remarkable how um, a how obvious it is and simple it is, and b how it reminds me of the FX press maybe in the 70s and 80s because it's always about you know there's all, all the press is full of Bitcoin bull run about to start massive bull signal for Bitcoin says so and so some bloke I've never heard of of course and it's all that sort of stuff to be followed by Bitcoin going down a thousand dollars and well, you sit there and go so like I um <clears throat> go on yeah no I, so I was I was watching something on YouTube the other day and, and obviously one of the adverts that, that plays in between stuff pops up. I normally I kind of skip through them, but it was obviously based on my browsing history. It was Bitcoin related, so it was a, a retail platform. Right? Thank goodness it was and there. They, and they were, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but it was hilarious because it, it was like uh, it was showing the Bitcoin price action, like you know, 2015 to 2016. It's like, and it has a breakout, then it goes down, then it's the support, and then it goes up again. 
And, you know, it shows this for like 2016, 2017, 2018, and then it's 2019. It's like, so it had the breakout and now it's down. The support's going to come. What's going to happen next, right? I think the obvious implication is, oh, it's going to, it's going to break, go back up again. So I should get in and buy now. And then, yeah. and, you know, put the standard disclaimer because it's retail. Standard disclaimer at the bottom. 75% of people who trade retail lose their money kind of thing. Um, <laughs> You, you look at it and think, how are people fall for this stuff? It's, I mean, I suppose, yeah, we are kind of in the professional space, so we, that's why we don't. But you do look at it sometimes and think, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, even the technical analysis you see, they're going like, at no time does any of this reporting around charts actually predict what's actually going to happen. All it does is actually says, well, you know, as you just said, we had this breakout here. Yeah, well, mate, I don't want to know what happened. That's you know that's no use to me, is it? I mean, frankly, that's about as much use to me as a you know as a Bitcoin in a pub is. Um, <laughs> you got to tell me what you got to tell me what's gonna happen. So yeah, um, moving on in terms of things that are gonna happen, or ha- actually no, to be fair, this is something that has happened. Um, we're back in survey land. I'm glad to say you rode to peace this week, um, the- and I mean I-, I may be wrong, but I detected a sense of um, irony in your prose about the, um, the use of algos. The, the bombshell report this week. It's got everyone <laughs> talking, Colin. Um, yes. So, so, we're being, okay, so we're being a little... We're referring to Greenwich Associates um, uh, issued a report saying that the adoption of algos by FX market participants has increased 25% year, year on year. Um, and, and, and the reason why you may have detected some irony in my prose was because they did release another report in 2017, um, arguing that, that, uh, you know, focused on best execution and, and TCA was fueling the adoption of algos and FX markets. Um, and then, you know, to quote here from the new report, as FX market participants adopt sophisticated pre and post trade analytics enhanced by artificial intelligence and machine learning, the benefits of algo trading are becoming clear. Um, so again, they're basically arguing that TCA and Best X has driven algo adoption. But it's interesting because mm-hmm. they said in 2017 that this was fueling algo adoption, and they say in this this report that actually it hasn't algo usage hasn't really shifted until this year. So it's yeah. kind of you know algos are on the rise, and then they didn't, and then algos are on the rise, but for real this time, like actually this time for sure. <laughs> We mean it this time. I mean, yeah. it's. I, I find these things interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the sample size was because I think that's the thing when you get into. Because sometimes when you're looking at specialist markets, your sample size is quite small, and if you target the right people, you can get the right numbers. I think everyone knows that about any poll in in, in any in any walk of life. Um, I don't know if I'm imagining this, and it wouldn't be the first time I have, but. Um, Every time I see a report saying that algo trading is on the rise or is going to rise, doesn't it always say 25%? Um, yeah, so where was it? it was it does, it, doesn't it? You're, you're, not, you're not being crazy. So uh, we noted in the article that JP Morgan published a survey last year in which 24% of institutional respondents said uh, they planned to increase their FX algo usage yeah. last year. Yeah. I was wrong. I was out by one percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things. You know, it, I just seem to for years have been reading about how algo trends going to go up by twenty percent or twenty five percent or whatever, and it just never seems to do it. I mean, 
it's um, don't get me wrong. I actually anecdotally, you know, I have no I have no information on this at all, Galen, whatsoever. But anecdotally, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you for a fact, um, algo trading is going up. Yeah, the people people I talk to in the algo, and that's funny enough what I don't get out of them. Generally speaking, I don't get, I mean, if I do get a number, it's nowhere near 25%. What I would say, though, is it is going up towards double figures. And a lot of the people I'm talking to are actually quite mature in the algo space. So you'd think it will be from a fairly reasonable base. So I think there is an increased use of algos. And, but I don't, I I think it's, I'm not, I mean, is it about TCA? It might be. I think it's more a factor of market liquidity. People are using algos because, frankly, even if they're trying to do, you know, $20 Swiss, before it would have been, you know, there, there are four or five banks that will make you a really tight price in $20 Swiss. Now, for whatever reason, whether it be, you know, customer behavior or, you know, LP behavior, um, the spreads available on those amounts are wider now than they were. And so more people are using algos to execute what traditionally would be a one-call trade. Um, is it a permanent shift? It'll be interesting to know. Does the report say it's going to go up 25% next year? Or is it a backward-looking report and the, the forward-looking report come out in six months' time? I think the forward-looking one's still to come. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, um, all is well in the algo world. That's good. I want to end the podcast, Colin. I have a little pop quiz for you. And All right. so we we published a story this week about FX all adding uh, Crown Agents Bank as a liquidity provider. Now, yes. uh, I will make a point now that I have disabled the story on the website so that you can't go and read the answers to this, these questions uh, <laughs> as I go through. So, we, uh, quoting from the article, with the addition of Crown Agents now, FX users, FX all users, sorry, have an additional liquidity choice for de- trading deliverable frontier currency, including now. Yeah. I'm going to give you the currency codes, and you have to tell me which currency it is. So, <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna start off with a we we'll start off with an easy one, Colin. Uh, BDT. Which currency is that? BDT. Yeah, mind, we're on a podcast. We can't have yeah, we can't have dead air, Colin. We can't have dead air. No, no, no. no, no. Well, let's just um, let's go Benin. Ah, <laughs> oh, mate, it was so obvious. It was obviously the Bangladeshi taka. Okay, so... <laughs> is that frontier currency? I suppose it is. <laughs> uh, we, we didn't get that one. Okay, how, how about this one? Uh, XCD. I mean, XCD, Colin. And if you don't, frankly, if you don't get this one, I don't think you're going to get any of them. XCD? This one. Yeah. This one, I mean, surely you are, when you were cable trading, you came across this all the time, Colin. It's yeah. a famous cross. <laughs> the XCD. Uh, no, I haven't got a clue. Yeah. Frontier. I mean, okay, is it African? The East, uh, no, it's the East Caribbean dollar. Widely traded. Oh, is that its, is that its, is that its code? I've, I've spent East Caribbean dollars. Oh, have you? Yes, I've been on. I mean, St. Lucia and places like that has the East Caribbean dollar. I tip my caddy in his... Can I tell you something? I once lent um, Paul McCartney's cousin and Bonnie Tyler's lead yeah. guitarist... 20 East Caribbean dollars to tip the caddy because I played golf with them and they didn't have any money and they were from up north in England and I sort of went back and said, look, it doesn't matter. And they insisted on paying me back. 
And I told her then, Mrs. Lambert, I'd met two peasants who couldn't afford to tip the caddy. And it turns out one was like a superstar <laughs> guitarist, and the other one had her own TV show. <laughs> so I've spent EC, I spent East Caribbean dollars. I didn't know about, <laughs> I didn't know it was XCD. Carry on, give me another one. Okay, another one? All right. Um, okay. XAF. And I'll give you a clue, it's, it's African. XAF. XAF. <clears throat> yeah. Um, that will be a Frank, I reckon. Hey, there he is. So you got That'll the, you be got a Frank. Yeah. Coming, can you? If, if you if you win this, this is the end of the podcast right here. If you get this, Algeria. Ah, oh, no, it's a Central African Frank. Angola. Oh, so don't. Oh, okay. Well, I've yeah, never spent any of that. Don't worry. You can also you can also uh, FX all users can also now access the West Af- African Frank as well. Oh, okay. It's, it's important they do West and East. Okay. So one last one. T Z S. Tanzania. Yeah. What 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 unit of currency does Tanzania have? Oh, Tanzania is England used to have it. Sterling. Pound. No, used to have it. We we still have the sterling and the pound. (laughs) (laughs) Shilling. Oh, is it a Tanzanian shilling? I know it's a Kenyan shilling. I've spent Kenyan shillings, but not on anybody famous. Well, okay, well, well, that, was a, that, was an abject, that was an abject failure, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you did better than I thought. <laughs> I, I, come on, I, you know it was I worth it just for, the, just for the Kate Robbins story. <laughs> I, no, it was worth it, it was worth it. I texted Julie that I was going to do this pop quiz and she laughed a lot. <laughs> yes. Well, I can tell you, my phone, I did once get a, a voice broker. Um, I gave a voice broker an information rate for anybody that wanted it. And it was the uh, Ding Dong. I quoted him the ding dong, and it, uh, back then it was the Cambodian ding against the Vietnamese dong, and then Colin, Cambodia up. went and changed from the ding to the real, so it became the real dong, and it just wasn't the same. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we grow up. I was about twenty-three at the time. <laughs> I haven't grown up yet. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> we will end the podcast here on such a uh, high note. Um, thanks very much for listening, everybody, and um, we'll be back next week. <laughs>